culture of innovation. We interview exceptional leaders who embrace and demonstrate innovation. Hear their stories and listen as we explore turning ideas into tangible ways to create value and cultivate innovation as a way of life. Listen and be inspired as an innovative leader. Together, we shape culture and change the world. Culture of Innovation is brought to you by Ridge Innovative, where we practice innovation with a purpose to help companies use technology and breakthrough strategies to achieve business outcomes. I'm your host, Nancy Ridge, and today I am so honored to introduce both a friend and a force in alliances, Norma Wattenpau. Norma is the founding principal and CEO of Phoenix Consulting Group, which provides education and consulting services with expertise in go-to-market strategy, channel and alliance management, and ecosystem development. Prominent clients include this list of who's who, Amazon, Adobe, Cisco, DuPont, Dell, Google, Nationwide, PayPal, and SAP. She was named a woman of influence in Silicon Valley by the Silicon Valley Business Journal for her work in advancing best practices in collaborative business relationships. She was recently inducted into the Forbes Business Council, which is an invitation-only community of successful business leaders. Norma is an advisory board member of the Association of Strategic Alliance Professionals and former Best Practices Committee Chair. She's led the organization in developing CAAM and CSAP professional certifications and in revitalizing the ASAP Handbook of Alliance Management. She led the U.S. delegation to the ISO Standards Committee in developing the ISO-44001 Collaborative Business Relationship Management Standard. So thrilled to have you here today, Norma. Welcome. Thank you, and thank you for inviting me. Well, we have a great topic, um, which is innovating partner experience. So let's start there. And I'd like to begin by just, again, acknowledging we've all experienced the incredible change in how business is done over the last couple of years. How have you seen the influence of partners change the customer experience during that time? Well, I think for one thing, we've seen a broader impact of how partners influence the customer experience. If you think channels, you think about, oh, they're out there selling for us. But they do more than that. Partners are often well ahead of the sales, what we think of as the sales uh, cycle for products. They're in there counseling customers on how to do um, business transformation, how to become more digital, if you're a bank, how to be a better bank versus how you buy software. So they become very influential in helping customers navigate uh, our turbulent times. And they also, you know, are there throughout the whole buying life cycle, throughout the deployment life cycle. And at the end, they're there uh, ongoing as partners are or customers are using your products and technology and managing their ability to adopt and apply them and gain business value from them. I think you have touched right there in such a profound way on the true value of partners in a relationship. So one observation 
that I've made is those of us who are immersed in channel. And of course, channel is expanding. And I know we'll talk, I'd like you to talk about that too, with all the emerging tech companies and proliferation of ISVs. And yet those of us who every day live and breathe channel, we know what the term partner experience means. Yet so many organizations are new to channel, like all of these these new companies. And I would really appreciate it if you would just take a moment to briefly describe for our listeners, what is partner experience as a term? What does that mean? Yes. And, and I'm interesting that you bring up the, the so many new companies. I uh, can point to a factoid from Forrester that says, you know, a few years ago, there was only 10,000 ISVs. And now there's 175,000 and growing to a million. So that's a lot (laughs) of new companies. (laughs) Huge. And each and every one of them are going to need an ecosystem or cadre of partners with which to go to market and needing to understand how they do that and how they create a good partner experience through that. One of the things I've seen is when I've talked to some of my larger clients in that they tend to be the the dominant player in their market space. Mm-hmm. And when I talk to their partners, you know, partners who tell me they partner with these guys because they have to, their customers are demanding their products. But given the choice, they might want to partner with the number two in the market because they get treated better. They answer the phone calls, they're more responsive, there's better benefits, they engage more strongly on the sales and, and support model. So you know, if they have a choice and an ability to influence a customer's choice, they may influence um, the competitor or the challenger because the partner experience is better. They're easier to work with. Hmm. Wow. That's that's really important uh, to observe and for some of those big guys to really pay attention to. And, and also, I'm encouraged by, you know, the idea that with these, you know, potentially million ISVs out there, that if we really work at it, there is a good chance to create that better partner experience and in turn, the better customer experience. Mm -hmm. So I've had the pleasure and the privilege, I'm going to say, of collaborating with you these last several months, exploring how a great partner experience is key to the formula to produce revenue, along with employee experience and customer experience. How does the partner experience translate to a compelling customer experience? Well, that, of course, is part of what we're seeking to discover through our research. And we've uh, talked to a number of partner executives already to get their perspective. And intuitively, we all believe that it does in that, Mm -hmm. you know, if, if you're relying on your partner to deliver technical expertise, they need to have it. And if they don't have it, they, you know, the, the experience a customer will have on that front is not going to be very good. So we, we all know that there is some relationship to it, but also understanding how does that play across the whole life cycle of how a customer engages with um, our partners. And one of the things I've seen is that, um, Companies that have a well-structured partner experience or journey really derive a lot more revenue. It can determine the lifetime value of that partner. So they're doing something right there. 
and it has to do with how well they engage with their the partner and how that translates into greater revenue. I've seen one data point where this structured, nurtured partner journey from onboarding to first, you know, first contract uh, can accelerate revenue and in fact resulted in 50% greater revenue the first year. And this was based on A-B testing. So pretty yeah. accurate within this one company that uh, this, this nurtured partner experience was delivering revenue. One has to assume this because they're working with customers better. Right. That makes perfect sense. And, you know, we talked earlier about how you get to work with some of these large enterprise organizations and many of them, well, I won't say many of them, but most of them have innovated the science of measuring customer experience. Can you share with our listeners what we found in our initial research regarding their desire as well as their ability to measure partner experience. Is it, are we there yet? Do they want to do that? Well, I, I, what we found is that most of these companies all do customer success or an MPS right. uh, study on um, their customer experience. And many of them also do an MPS or partner sat survey, but they don't mm-hmm. correlate the two. <laughs> Or they don't ask customers, you know, what their experience are with partners and how, mm-hmm. you know, that that adds to their overall, you know, success and ability to recommend a company based on the partners they interact with. What we found in talking with one very um, large enterprise software company, uh, does insurance software, and they have a hundred percent customer success mantra. In other words, and when have you heard an enterprise software company say that that they have a hundred percent customer success, That's and a they huge operate commitment. the company to delivering that? It's just mm-hmm. astounding. Mm-hmm. Um, and they have the success to show for it, by the way. And they you have know. the success to show for it. Mm-hmm. Um, that commitment is so strong that they move their partner organization under the customer success organization. That in itself is innovative, by the way. It is. I don't know anyone else who's doing that. Mm-hmm. And when they approach how they support and service a customer, it is with the partner in mind. And it's also with the idea of 100% customer success. So they will look at how they're partnering and how it's staffed and the expertise and the project plan. And it's all golden oriented toward making their customer success mm-hmm. successful. And the partners love it. <laughs> you know, it's a really great approach. Yeah, um, everybody wins. Everybody wins. However, this com- even this company doesn't can't correlate how much of their success or how much of the customer experience is really related to the partner. Well, they know mm-hmm. it's a great deal because they're working arm in arm with the partner all the way through it. Mm-hmm. So desires there in some cases where we have kind of, let's call it a woke partner environment, but ability to measure, not yet there. Not quite there. And I think it's important to be able to measure and really understand the touch points and the importance of each of the touch points. Because, you know, it's kind of the old mantra, if you can't measure it, you can't manage it. You can't optimize the outcomes and the results. And that's ultimately what you're trying to do is to ensure that how you work with your partners translates to great customer success and happy customers is more revenue. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I, you know, and I, I found it interesting as we were talking to some of these leaders, how in some cases they really don't touch the customer at all. You know, they're handing over the entire customer experience to their partners. And it just leaves you wondering, like, you know, why wouldn't this be an area that data scientists are clamoring, you know, to, to uncover and to map out, you know, to be able to bring that data to the table and say, you know, this is what might adjust it even slightly one way or the other. Mm-hmm. Well, as we saw, you know, the recent Forbes and Salesforce study that they've only begun to kind of peel back the onion on employee experience and how that impacts mm-hmm. customer experience. But mm-hmm. in many cases, the partners are in that role of a part of your, you know, extended employee workforce, if you will. Right, right. Which, you know, I'd like to just maybe take a little sidebar along those lines, because I think that's a really important distinction. Uh, and really, that was the what motivated us to start this work was that Forbes Salesforce study that showed how much employee experience affected customer experience, which affected revenue. And so many CEOs have really honed in on customer experience, thinking that if we just address that, then the revenue will come. But it's a sequential process. It doesn't start just there. Not <laughs> at all. Right. You've got to start, you know, with the foundation. And I look at, again, you know, when structuring some of these emerging tech companies, structuring their partner programs and how important it is to have employees who run their channel programs, for example, uh, that have that commitment as well to the partner. Um, And I'm again, I'm taking a little sidebar here, but I'm curious what your thoughts are in terms of, you know, how that kind of builds into the equation, Well, choosing those right people. Yes, I think that it is very important. And what I'm, what I'm, uh, I call back to is my experience in working with the ISO uh, standard on collaborative business relationships in that, you know, I went back and took a look at the ISO 9000, which is the quality standard, of course, the gold standard of standards. And I recall when the quality movement began, and this is like 30, 40 years ago now, but, you know, at one point we thought, well, you know, you manage quality by putting in a QA inspector at the end of the assembly line, or you do QA testing and software, and that's how you manage quality. And that turned out not to be at all the case. You manage quality to, to, to achieve excellence by building it into the very fabric of the company so that it was part of the culture, it was part of the business strategy, it was part of how you design in quality into your products. It's how you, you know, it was, it had to be completely infiltrated throughout the company and the culture in order to really drive that that quality message and that quality outcome. And I don't think it's any different. In fact, maybe even more important when you're talking about collaborative relationships. The ability yeah. to collaborate, the ability to think from your partner's perspective, I think has to be part of your DNA. I love that. So as you have studied, you know, really extensively collaborative business relationships, uh, how important is it for the CEOs to really make that 
statement intentional about creating a a partner focused environment? Oh, I love that question. It is absolutely crucial. I have had to launch partner programs where the where the senior executive, the CEOs were not on board. And it's like pushing a noodle uphill. It's so hard. In fact, I would say having clear executive sponsorship is probably one of the most important aspects of being able to um, engage in an ecosystem business model, be able to collaborate, be able to work with partners effectively because of so many factors. You know, first, you know, the CEO is setting the tone and the behaviors mm-hmm. of the culture and of how companies um, work with partners. They bridge all the different functions and all the different functions have to engage when partnering in so many of our um business models now it's not it's you know it's r&d it's sales it's support it's marketing all have to right. touch points with customer partners and so that 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 um um what do you, what do you call that i won't call it a fiat but anyway <laughs> that support <laughs> from the ceo across all those functions is extremely important yeah and i think too you know the other piece i'd be curious for your take on is you know, how, um, you know, how that can be challenging within, let's say, existing organizations. It's one thing to start off brand new and say, we're a partner-led company. But I think when, and, or to be, you know, a powerhouse, you know, like one of those uh, clients that you've worked with, you know, whether it's a DuPont or a PayPal, where, you know, they're really bringing the partner channel into their business you know, they have the resources to take teams and create teams to innovate and partner experience. And the new emerging tech company can start from scratch. But when you've got those kind of mid, mid-sized companies who, you know, they're still trying to drive revenue with the mm-hmm. team that they have. And now you come in and ask that same team to innovate and to create you know, a partner channel, a partner experience while they're still trying to drive revenue. You know, I've seen a lot of uh, rocky experiences along those lines. And I'm wondering, have you seen any of that yourself or what are your thoughts around that? Well, you're absolutely right. And I, I heard a great term the other day and I don't know why I hadn't heard before. I mean, there's startups, but then there's the scale ups. You know, the companies Ooh, that are really that. to scale their business and grow from, you know, just a small cadre of, of very niche market customers to really growing their business aggressively. And mm-hmm. frankly, you can't do that without a partner ecosystem. So while those medium-sized companies might be struggling because of fast growth to cover all their bases and enough people and staff, that's the very reason why they need partners. That's mm-hmm. the very reason why they have to bridge that gap somehow and put the right resources in growing their partner ecosystems so that they can scale up. Mm-hmm. And that's interesting you put it that way. I have a couple of clients now that I'm working with that just gotten huge Series C uh, funding and they've got a strong market, they've got customers, but they need to build a partner ecosystem if they want to be able to go IPO in any big way because mm-hmm. their valuation is dependent on how well they can scale. Uh, it, you know, mentioning 
uh, the PE money, you know, coming into the equation, you know, we're thinking right along the same lines, because I was just sitting here wondering, you know, when we're going to start to see, you know, a company uh, requesting, you know, requesting funding from a PE firm, and instead of saying, hey, we need it just for marketing, or, you know, we need it for a product development to come in and say, you know, hey, I need several million dollars to build a partner program. And I can't help but wonder, is that starting to happen out there? Well, it is in the case of these couple of custom these couple of clients I'm talking about. Is that their VCs were the ones said, "Thou shalt <laughs> build a partner ecosystem <laughs> before you go IPO." <laughs> exactly, exactly. In fact, you know, there's one uh, organization, one VC company that I've heard of that recently just you know engaged with a channel development company and said, "We've got a book of clients." that you know we're investing in and we are making a mandate that they need to work with you to build a partner ecosystem so that is a thing and lots you know, of to innovation. Tie that back to to um you know partner experience uh i i think that's you know one thing they also have to to be aware of it's it's not just a matter of recruiting every partner that's out there, it's it's building these compelling experiences mm. so that they are more effective. I think, mm. you know, all channel all channel organizations have this 80-20 or 90-20 uh, factor where it's only a small number of partners that are really engaged in delivering. And to the degree that you can move that number so that's, you know, from 10% to 20 to 30 you're getting a lot more leverage out of your partner mm-hmm. community and your partner dollars if you can ensure the partners you have are engaged wow. and are getting what they need from you to be successful. What a huge opportunity. Yeah, it's, it's I call it the next 20%. If you're on 80-20, how do you engage the next 20%? Oh, I love that. <laughs> can I borrow that one? <laughs> Sure. <laughs> Let's engage the next 20%. That sounds like a good uh, good business slogan. <laughs> and, and, you know, before we kind of wrap up today, you know, I also think about uh, tools and technology towards partner experience. So, you know, we're seeing uh, certainly more integration of tools out there, such as CRMs and PRMs. Any thoughts around how we apply tech to get a better customer, a better partner experience? Um, yes, I, I think there's, you know, I think many of the current PRMs are equipped to help manage that journey in a more intentional and, and interactive way with partners, whether or not companies are actually using it that way is another question. I think a lot of companies are still, you know, the portal is just where you throw a lot of stuff versus how this is how you design a journey for partners. So they get what they need when they need it, which, you know, that's kind of how we all consume data these days. Yes. Um, But I also think there's some emerging technologies that are very interesting that will help augment that experience. Um, I think that a company called Tidwit is doing some really interesting things in syndicating web content across partners Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. that makes more information available. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they're doing some really innovative stuff. There's some newer part client customers coming out there. Reveal and Crossbeam will help you connect. What customers are you selling to? What customers am I selling to? How do we link arms and go, you know, address joint opportunities together? Mm-hmm. Um, 
So there's some emerging tech coming out there that I think is going to make that partner experience that much more productive. 100%. Yes, I've had um, Well Yaffe, who's the CEO of Tidwit, as a guest on this show a while back. And, you know, I've had the pleasure of continuing to see how Tidwit, you know, is growing that platform and every day just adding more GSIs and ISVs to it. And the more they add, the broader that ecosystem gets. So that is a very exciting bit of innovation. There's kind of that network effect when you start dealing with partners and ecosystems. It becomes more valuable the more partners you add. Mm -hmm. It does. I I love that. Well, Norma, I'm, I'm so excited. Now, we'll soon be releasing a survey to broaden the perspective and gain additional data about improving and measuring partner experience. We've got this survey, we wanna know more. And you know, we're very lucky to have the support of channel leaders such as Janet Shines at the JS Group and Mike Leonetti over at ASAP Global Alliance. Can you describe what we're hoping to gain with that data? Absolutely. I mean, companies only have limited number of, you know, limited dollars to invest. So what I think at the end of the day, what we'd really like to understand is what parts of the partner experience have the most impact? What can companies do in, in terms of where they're investing in partner experience that is going to generate a better customer experience and better revenue? Love it. That is gold. Well, wow, thanks so much for leading the discussion for innovating partner experience. You know, according to our friend Jay McBain over at Forrester, 76% of all goods and services will be bought through partners. So it is truly time to put our focus on recognizing the influence of partners, not only in our businesses, but in our economy. So may we come back to you later in the year once the research is further along to get an update on the findings? Oh, absolutely. I'm excited for that. I can't wait to to see what we learn. And I know it's going to be meaningful to so many of these companies that we were just referring to. But meanwhile, I always like to close here at Culture of Innovation by having a little fun. (laughs) So, and I know you like to have fun. I like to have fun. So, <laughs> so what innovation would you most like to see gain adoption? And this is a really broad question. It could be anything, you know, so just to give you a sense of it, previous guests have mentioned everything from teleporting to magic makeup mirrors to shoes that change colors with their clothes. <laughs> so <laughs> what are your thoughts? <laughs> well, I love the teleporting. I'm a Star Trek fan myself, so beam me up Scotty, but, but right. I would love to see warp speed, you know, faster than light travel. I'm, I love to travel. I've been all over the world. I've, I've been around the world twice. I've been to places like Easter Island, but, you know, I've been constrained to this earth. I would love to be able to explore <laughs> other worlds. Yeah. Oh, wow. Well, you know, you and, um, uh, who's, oh gosh, his name just flew out of my head. Our, well, I know we know, you know, all the big Elon Musk and, you know, all these tech leaders, like they're trying to get into space. And, yeah. Right. They're trying Branson. to get into Yeah, Branson. I think that's one of his visions is to make, you know, space travel available to the average guy. <laughs> 
So maybe I'll be successful in our lifetimes. We'll see. <laughs> well, thank you so much again. It has been such a pleasure. And we will definitely circle back to you later in the year to get a, a taste of, you know, what parts of that partner experience can have the most impact. Really appreciate your thoughts and your time today, Norma. Thank you so much, Nancy. So I'd like to thank all of you, our listeners, for being with us today. And remind you, don't forget to subscribe at iTunes to get updates on new episodes. You'll also find us at www.soundcloud.com, Culture of Innovation. And be sure to check us out at www.ridgeinnovative.com. Have a breakthrough day, and we'll see you next time.